Welcome to Postbreak. My name is Chris Peterson, Board Secretary of the Post New York Alliance. This is our biweekly discussion of all the forces continuing to shape how we work right now. And today's topic is VFX production for post supervisors. And now to introduce our moderator, he has experience across a broad range of projects working in the US, the UK and Australia for broadcast networks, feature film studios and independent producers as a post-supervisor, producer, project consultant, manager, and executive. And his recent credits include VP of Studio Services at HBO and VP of Post-Production for Vice Studios. And he's a PNYA board member, Ben Baker. Thank you, Chris. Uh, hello, everyone. Yes, this is uh, VFX for post-supervisors. Um, I uh, started uh, to think about this panel because um, I realized in my own work, the load for post-supervisors on visual effects is just getting higher and higher. There's more and more visual effects, even in your standard jobs now. And so um, I wanted to um, pull some experts in and talk about what they do in jobs and give some tips to um, budding or working um, post-supervisors in the business at the moment in New York. So without further ado, um, I have uh, Leslie Lerman here who has uh, 20 years of experience producing visual effects in feature films. She's worked for directors such as David Fincher, Mark Foster, Sam Mendes, Ron Howard, Rob Marshall, great list of directors on projects like Fight Club, Finding Neverland, The Kite Runner, Skyfall Inspector, in the Heart of the Sea and Mary Poppins Returns. She's most recently overseen visual effects for John Kransky's Quiet Place 2. Leslie, lovely to have you here. Thank you, great to be here. And I have, uh, Ryan is the executive producer at Powerhouse and he's previously worked at Zoic Studios, Method Studios, The Artery, as well as the executive producer at The Colony. His credits include Warrior for Cinemax and HBO, um, Glass for Universal, Maniac with an apostrophe for Netflix, and Servant for Apple. Ryan Cunningham, how are you doing? Good, thank you. So I thought that uh, when I was thinking about the format of this talk, I thought that we would um, run through uh, really five stages of uh, a typical job and run through and bounce between Leslie and Ryan to just get their take on what they're thinking about. Um, this isn't intended to be a technical conversation. Um, this is really a process conversation about what people are doing at the different stages of production, what you should be thinking about. Um, you know, we're going to get into looking at the kind of larger scale work that Leslie and Ryan do. And then I'm gonna, you know, try and boil it down to really the, um, the, the byline of this talk should be how to produce visual effects without a visual effects producer. Um, and so, um, you know, the scale of um, both Leslie and Ryan's work is um, very impressive. Uh, but I think there are things that um, we can learn from them both at that level, which will come into um, the kind of independent films and independent productions that happen in New York all the time. So the five stages we're going to go through are setup, which is budgeting and um, the script, pre-shoot and the shoot, um, generating assets, working on iterations of the shots, getting ready to receive and deliver shots and then wrapping up. So we might as well uh, jump right into it. Uh, Leslie, so um, 
let's start with you. When you're embarking on a project, where do you start usually? What is your start? And, and could I also ask, who hires you? I am usually hired by the studio mm -hmm. um, and run by the director um, and production team. Um, I usually start by, I get a script. Yeah. And, you know, after the first read through, I have to do a breakdown um, and figure out you know, like, what are the visual effects potentially in this film. Um, so my second pass through the script is to start outlining that, literally going through scene by scene and breaking it down. Um, I do that myself in Excel. And what is that breakdown document? What are you, what are you really trying to get into that document to begin with? Um, I am trying to get in there kind of by seeing a description of what the type of work might be. So if you're in a house, um, you know, is there going to be green screen out the windows or is that on location or dressed on a stage? Um, so it helps me first to kind of just go through scene by scene, list kind of the types of effects and then go back to the production to kind of lay out my assumptions. So sometimes um, I'm able to ask questions directly to the director and sometimes that's more through the producers to make sure that kind of that we're on the same page and kind of what we're thinking those visual effects might be. And that's interesting. You're, you're not only looking for the script saying dinosaur burst through the wall, but, um, but also kind of the physical shoot elements that you would need to be working with as well. Yes, that's correct. So I feel like we're looking for you know, is this on stage? Is it on location? Are there weather elements within the scene? Um, as well as kind of your bigger things like, yeah, creature animation or big special effects. And um, as you're marking up your breakdown, how are you relying on it keeping organized? Because the script is still getting written and rewritten every day. You'll have new pages of it. So how do you anchor your work into the script? Is it the scenes you said or page numbers? So in, within my breakdown um, by line, I'm listing out the page number, the scene, a, a, usually a line from the script from that scene. And then I kind of have what my VFX methodology might be. Like, is that a green screen window or not? Um, then my next kind of, layer of detail is how many shots within that scene should we be allowing for? So for instance, if a scene is three eighths of a page and a page of script time is usually one minute is one page, you know, how many shots should we allow for for three eighths of a page? And mm -hmm. also taking account into account, you know, if they're in a dialogue scene, one person might be standing in front of the window but their counterpart is not. So the entire scene would not necessarily be green screen windows. Um, at this stage, are you, you're, you're, are you pricing or is that, does that come immediately after? Are you trying to work out in your head? Because of course the question you've got to answer is yeah. how much is all this gonna cost? How much is all this gonna cost? So yeah, so after I have my basic outline um, within my Excel document, one track. my next pass would be to add some potential budget numbers to that. Um, usually the, the studio or, or the production wants an estimate pretty quickly. So usually I kind of do my own estimate and then the breakdown goes out to vendors. 
This is where Ryan will come in. So Ryan, you get a breakdown from Leslie. What are you doing first? So usually the first thing I will do is I'll take a pass at the at bidding it based off of the breakdown that I receive. So, um, you know, whether it's myself or another producer, uh, we'll go through and basically start writing out methodologies and approaches um, for said line item uh, in that breakdown. And then from there, uh, we'll sit down with uh, our VFX supervisor uh, in-house, our CG supervisor, our comp supervisor, and basically collect um, their thoughts on it. And from there, we'll start to assign numbers to everything. But really, we're, what we're doing is we're doing a first pass to find what our questions are and how we can you know, go back to Leslie or, um, or to production with those questions and say, okay, we have identified within these shots, some potential things that we think could become visual effects. What are your thoughts? How are you planning on capturing them on set? And are you getting down in your bid down to the actual kind of hours that people are doing, you know, you need, you know, a model or a lighter and a compositor for this particular, these shots, are you getting down to that level at this stage? Yeah, in, in our first pass, we typically do. Um, it does a lot of things. Of crewing already. Absolutely, yeah. It gives us an idea of what we're going to need resources-wise from the onset. And so it gives us, again, just, just the ability to, from the start, uh, ha have a clear understanding of, okay, this is where we could be heading with this show. Yeah, right. And are you... Um... What is your kind of attitude towards testing at this stage? I mean, do you need to kind of prove out at this stage like methodologies or does that come a little later? It, it usually comes a little later. I mean, we always try to back ourselves into some sort of methodology or assumption. Uh, it, it, it kind of protects us a little bit um, so that, you know, if things go awry on set, we're not held to a number that we did in our prelim stage. But, um, you know, it, it really depends uh, on the show. We're, 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 you know, usually back and forth and, and very communicative with, with production and with the post team and with uh, the VFX team show side to determine, you know, how we want to handle said shot. And then, Leslie, you get bids. I take it more than one. You know, usually it's three bids, you know, kind of standard. What are you doing with that then? Um, you're... Each, each house would have its own supervisor. Are they in at this stage talking to you, presenting their bids? What do you do then? So once we get the bids in, and usually at this point, I've had a conversation with the bidding producer and, and the internal supervisor where we've kind of gone through different assumptions um, for them to do their bid. And then I'm taking those competitive bids and comparing them all to each other. You know, hopefully they're pretty similar. Yeah. You know, and usually if one is very different from another one, there is a flag there. You know, is someone thinking that we're shooting this a different way? Why do they think this is more complicated or is it oversimplified? Um, it, so it really kind of opens a dialogue um, and sometimes asks some really good questions that helps us as production kind of hone in on the right methodologies. That's great. Ryan, I had a question for you from the audience. Does resolution um, and of course there is an impact, but how does it impact the content of, of your bid? Well, usually it, you know, it, it impacts it from a rendering perspective. So we have to keep in mind, are we finishing HD, 2K, 4K? Um, you know, typically we aren't 
delivering shows anymore these days in HD. Some of them still require it. And we, you know, obviously do do it, but there are render rates that we have assigned based off of what we are finishing. And so usually we establish that pretty early on and what cameras and those types of things. So there is that setup work associated with it. Yeah. Um, but once we establish it, it's, it's, you know, right into production. Okay, so we started to shoot. Um, Leslie, when are you working with the supervisor, um, the visual effects supervisor in terms of the shoot? Well, in pre-production, we'll be starting to outline, you know, how we're gonna shoot these things, what our requirements are on the set um, in terms of like, what do we need to scan in terms of the LIDAR or characters, um, making sure that everything that we have, we need on the day, you know, a green screen or motion capture, that those things are happening. Um, and by laying it out in advance, you know, then we can make sure that production is aware and those things are, are there on the day and that those things are also budgeted. You know, part of my responsibility being the production side producer is I also budget the overhead, you know, on the production side. So, in terms of our additional staffing, if we have a visual effects crew, as well as like on set costs, so the cost of scanning and lidar in post production, you know, it would be scan, it would be like scanning um, to do your turnover of your visual effects shots, as well as you know theater time to review shots for final approval. So we're in the shoot and shots are coming in. Leslie, how are you working with them? They're going through to editorial. How do you kind of get your, and, and what are you doing with the information that's coming in? So as, um, as you're shooting on set and it comes into the, edit, into the edit, we're waiting then for the editor to put together his cuts in order to give us a turnover. Yeah. Um, usually the turnover is approved by both the director and the editor. Mm -hmm. um, and once that becomes an actual shot in the film, then that goes back out to the vendor to be rebid. And uh, that's because once you're on set and, and you're shooting, you know, some things go as you planned and some things don't. Um, so once they see the cut, we send that back out to them and then we get, you know, a kind of a reconciled bid. And are you... Um you're moving on from your breakdown now. You're getting more detailed information. Um, where are you putting all the shot information? So I, um, I do two different things. Um, I have a FileMaker probe database, which is what I like to use um, to track the individual shots and the feedback um, from, uh, that the director has when he looks at different versions. Um, and then I usually do my budgeting in Excel. So yeah. I will start a, kind of a new Excel document for turned over shots. And can you just quickly go through, what is the information in that FileMaker database that makes it you know, helpful to you? What are the kinds of things that you need in there? Well, when you turn over a shot, we usually give it an official visual effects number. Um, different people like to do this different ways. Usually we kind of have you know, one or two letters at the head of a shot that gives you kind of a, a key to a sequence. So it might be SM for a snowmobile and then underscore, and then the scene number, and then underscore, and then account. So shot 10, 20, 30 within that sequence. So we're tracking, you know, and have the ability to kind of look at stuff by sequence or to sort by scene. Um, within that, I'm also looking at, you know, the editorial counts, like how long is that shot? We might have the in out and where it's located in the cut within the reel. Yeah. Um, 
as well as you know we use it to then create review lists as submissions come in from, from vendors and then the feedback from the director against those submissions. So over to Ryan. Um, Ryan, shots are starting to come in. You're rebidding the shots. Uh, what are you doing with your, your supervisor would be going out onto set, I imagine? Yeah, um, you know, it, it, it depends on the production. You know, sometimes uh, Leslie would have on her team a, a show side supervisor or, you know, within said vendor, you know, typically you can provide an on-set supervisor as well. So it would depend on on how the production set up. But um, as soon as we receive turnover, it is, as Leslie said, reconciling our prelim numbers versus now what was actually captured on set. And so we're we're doing that process where we're identifying, you know, where the changes were and flagging those so that, again, as, as, as money is always... Um, a topic and always one of the main things that we focus on from at least for, you know a production standpoint uh it, it it always is the is the thing that we want to identify right away so um as we receive those quick times um we're bidding it and we're trying to get that back out to leslie and her team as fast as possible and leslie then if there is a difference between the the initial pre-production bid and then this bid to the shot, what are you doing with that? Are you going to someone for more money? Are you just keeping in the back of your head? So usually um, we will do turnover approval with the studio. So for each turnover, we'll be submitting the numbers to the studio of what we've actualized. Um, and if there is an overage, then we have to you know, kind of look at what our other costs might be kind of overall for the film. And the studio will decide if they're gonna approve that now yeah. or if they want to put a pin in it um but usually because you're waiting for you know the rest of the edit to come through you're not like awarding necessarily the overage right away you know you're kind of looking to see where your checks and balances might be as you continue to get the turnover the, th the other thing that we do during the shoot is we run hot costs so yeah. as we're shooting we're trying to track things that potentially we know are different um, or are brand new from what we had initially estimated. And the hot cost is different to the rebid of the visual effect, right? Right, because the hot cost is something like, you know, you've gone on set and, you know, maybe you budgeted for three shots and then they did five camera setups, you know, but maybe not all those are going to get used in the edit. So there's a potential there, but mm -hmm. it's not an actual cost yet. So until we have an edit and an actual turnover is when we start to actualize that potential. If I can go back to your um, the shot database and the information you're keeping for a second, let's talk about a fictional independent film. I know the independent films that I've post-supervised in um, New York always have screen replacements, a car green screen, uh, you're painting wires, set wires out of the background of you know your period drama. Um, so just in organizing those, what would you do? If I had screen replacements across, you know, four reels, would they, would you consider those grouped together or would you consider them separate into their reels? I think you need to look at each show in, individually and see what makes the most sense. You know, um, if you don't have a lot of shots, but they're all the same type, it might, even though they're in different reels, they might, you know, make sense to keep them in the same sequence. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, it's that type of work. Um, whereas if you have like a sequence that's very like, you know, one special effects done and you know, everything is the train crash, then maybe that's its own thing. Got you. 
And then how are you dealing across multiple, if we look at then the larger scale of the work you've done across multiple visual effects vendors? What is that like? Is it just an iteration of, you know, the work you do with Ryan, but you're doing that three other times? You have to have the conversation four times? <laughs> um, early on, I feel like you're having the conversation four times until you decide on your vendors. Yeah. And then once you've awarded, you're talking to them about their specific work. We do get into scenarios sometimes where there are shared shots. So say someone is working on the environment work in that shot and someone else is doing a vanity fix. Yeah, right. And then we're, we have to make sure that that coordination between vendors, you know, is is seamless and they kind of know when they're expecting something from the other vendor as they're relying on each other to make final delivery. Great. So Ryan, um, you know, you've started to see shots coming in. Are you, um, are you writing to the shots? Have you done look development and things beforehand that you're aiming towards? Yeah, so I, you know, I think that that goes back to a little bit into the, like the pre-production bidding phase. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, if you look at a studio's reel and you know they they have the work but they don't have the work, sometimes you're asked to do some sort of look development um, in order to win the job. And then, you know, assuming that you are selected to move forward on the actual show and there's a desire from the director, the showrunner, um, the producer, whoever it would be, to start flushing out an idea. So if, if we know we, we wanna do um, a big CG explosion of this building, um, there, there's typically asset development work that can begin right away. And so when, when that happens, that gives a lot of things, but the main one being gives us an opportunity to start working right away so that there's time to creatively adjust it and fix it however, however creatively we want to. And so um, with that being said, you know, we're, we're sometimes working on look dev, you know, two to three months before we actually even start shooting on set. And so that, that goes back to, again, getting visual effects involved as early as possible. I can't even tell you how many times Not productions have saved right? thousands and thousands of dollars by just, you know, paying for that visual effects supervisor to be on set for that one day. And so the more that we're at the table helping to push forward the creative vision from your director, your DP and, and everybody on set, the better off in the long run. So what's your cadence of communication with um, Leslie and the production during the shoot? Because people are shooting, they don't want, you know, they don't want to hear from the visual effects guy every day, like, oh, does this look right? Does this look right? Like, how do you, how do you manage that communication? Yeah, of course. I mean, you know, as far as an onset pers uh, perspective, we would have somebody there to be sort of our eyes and ears, and they would report back with daily or weekly reports um, to Leslie and or to the studio directly so that they're aware of what's going on. You, you see dailies as well. So you have, you know, glimpses into what was actually captured. And on top of that, you know, you're, you're managing those hot costs. So you're, you're aware of what's going on. You're flagging those in real time with the show side team. And so you're, you're just in constant communication. I think that's the buzzword that'll be, you know, yeah. consistent throughout this call is that when you're working vendor side or you're working show side, um, I, you know, this is an industry that's based off of communication. So as long as everybody's on the same page, you know, we're, we're in a good place to manage costs, manage deliveries, and ultimately manage expectations with, 
when you'll see something and what you're seeing. So Leslie's got her um, FileMaker database. What are you using to, I mean, you'd take an output of that to start. Do you, what do you use to track all these shots? Yeah, so we would receive um, a breakdown from uh, Leslie. From there, you know, we track internally within Powerhouse using Shotgun, which a lot of studios do. Um, and, you know, it gives us the ability to track notes, track versions, um, dailies, and ultimately deliver through it. So it, it's a great resource for us. Um, and so we build out our shotgun based off of ultimately the breakdown we would receive from editorial or from post. Got you. And all of your operators are on shotgun. They're picking up their work from shotgun, putting it back in. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like all of our artists, and everything through shotgun, right? Yes. Yeah. So all of our artists will launch uh, all of their files and nuke scripts and versions all directly through shotgun. And so it's, it really functions as our um, core to our studio. Yeah. So we're in the middle of it now. Um, you know, we've got out of the shoot and probably the bit that people are most nervous about who don't have experience in visual effects is managing iterations and managing the initial creative brief without your budget absolutely exploding and also managing your talent. Um, Leslie, um, you know, how do you, how do you approach, say, a, a director that may not have, I mean, you've worked with Mark Foster and, you know, these guys know their visual effects, but uh, David Fincher, you know, um, but if, if our audience was working with a new director, um, you know, that doesn't have the experience in visual effects, what are the best ways to approach that and to, and to keep people, you know, with the vision? I think what you really need to do is need to build their confidence in what is going to be there that they can't see now. So the ways that we do that are, you know, in doing look, look development, whether that starts in pre-production or sometimes during the shoot, when you've shot a sequence, you pick one or two key shots that go to the vendor early so that they can start working out what that's going to look like. Once the director sees a proof of concept of where it's going to go, and can see something that starts to get towards a more finished stage and at least you know one or two shots, then you know you can build that confidence um, and that allows them, I think, and educates them when they go into their edit and they have to do, give you turnover, but they feel like, how can I turn this over if I don't know what's going to be there? You know, yeah. so giving them that like those little things that you know help give them confidence in what they're doing. And with every you know, you're starting to see versions coming out from Ryan. You're starting to see work done. Do you get people to write down? Do you write down the initial brief and keep that in a document somewhere so you can remind people like, oh, remember we said, I mean, <laughs> you know, that's that that can be a, <laughs> that can be the whole time, right? Um, you know, so there is like our kind of what is the visual effects work? within a shot and when we send that to someone like Ryan to rebid based on what happened in set we're trying to outline everything that we expect to see in that shot so you know maybe there is a CG creature but there is also SFX rig removal and we want to change the color of the sky yeah you know and we want to outline all those expectations so that he has those in his bid then as we start to get iterations in from the vendor you know, we're tracking the director's notes against those iterations. And if there is a significant change in the work, 
um, like before there was one creature and now we want two, you know, then, you know, that's a legitimate change and that needs to be rebid and we need to go back to, you know, the studio and other people to get approval for those costs. And Ryan, on your side, um, you know, you're presenting versions. What happens in that meeting when someone throws you a curveball and says, oh no, there should be two, I think there should be two creatures here. We need to, what does that mean in your world? Um, I guess it, it, it really depends on uh, what stage of the pipeline are we in yeah. uh, and how close are we oh, to God. delivery. Um, that's kind of always the big thing. I mean, look, we, we, we always accommodate, you know, for ultimately creatively what needs to be done for the show. Um, it just, it, it becomes a conversation as far as scheduling for it, because if we've moved past sort of a phase where we want to, you know, if we've already done, let's say two creatures or one creature and we want to add a second, um, if we've already gone through comp, then that's, you know, really going backwards within the pipeline to go back to the beginning to start, you know, reworking the whole animation throughout that shot. So um, it really then just becomes a conversation creatively um, with our VFX supervisor, with the director to creatively hone in on it. And then usually Leslie and myself would be having a conversation like, okay, what does this mean budgetarily? How are we going to figure this out schedule wise? Like five minutes um, after that meeting, Leslie. Exactly, um, exactly, cool. exactly. Yeah. Hey, I've had those calls before. Yep. And what do you think f f on your side, is there a difference in, I mean, of course, there wouldn't be a difference between a, a first time visual effects, a director who's, you know, I've done a couple of things where someone's from Broadway and then is filming their Broadway film, know nothing about visual effects or even what sound mixing is, you know. Um, how do you deal with that? Do you have, you know, a, is it a different temperament? You, you feel like you need to go th through things more thoroughly? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, you know, I think it is all about building trust and building that relationship and that creative rapport. And so um, that's really where, again, you know, from a producer standpoint, we really try to lean into our, our supervisors to, you know, build that creative bond with, with the director and really help, um, to Leslie's point, have them see it before they even realize what they're seeing. And so, um, that, that hand-holding process or that education process is not something that's new. Um, if anything, it's, it's a great opportunity because it's, it's kind of teaching a new, a new wave of directors of how to uh, you know, shoot for visual effects, how to plan for visual effects, and then how to ultimately give notes on visual effects and what you should be looking at. And so that's, that's the really great thing about the, the relationship, if it can be, you know, done early on is you're giving yourself an opportunity to you know truly educate the filmmaker um throughout the process and leslie not to dwell on you know what happens when things go wrong but in that instance leslie where a, a director you're working with doesn't feel like they're getting um or their the brief is changing in their mind they need to go and change the edit is it you that has to give them the bad news? How do you, like, you, you're working for a studio, you know, you've got producers there as well. What What is that process? You, you probably have a process before you have to say definitively, well, no, you can't do that, right? Yeah, I mean, I feel like it is on us to have the conversation that, you know, as it's happening or after a meeting, you know, hey, there are some things here that the scope has changed a little bit. I'm gonna look into it with the vendor and see what we can do. 
um, sometimes we end up with like kind of a director wish list. Yeah. And, you know, we cost those things out and we go to the studio and the studio might say, okay, well, you know, we're going to give him half of those things. Mm -hmm. you know, and we have conversations back and forth with the director where we, we figure out what the priorities are and what we can do in schedule and on the budget. Yeah. But and it's, it's quite a thing being between a studio that has very kind of set ideas about what they're buying and then directors and producers. You have to kind of ride a fine line, really. Absolutely. I mean, in the end, someone has to pay for it. Yeah. We also, you know, we're here to try to give the director creatively everything that they've dreamed of. You know, we yeah. don't want to, we don't want to be the ones that have to say no. Yeah, exactly. But sometimes we do. Yeah. <laughs> so Ryan, um, as you're developing shots and you're getting closer to deliver, I, I really liked um, when we were talking about this a couple of days ago, you had talked about, um, really getting the client to focus on the parts they need to and when they need to focus on them. And I think that's a really interesting idea that as the shot develops, they're, they're focusing on different aspects of the shot. Do you want to talk about that a bit? Because you might have a few elements in the shot that are all developing together. And how do you, how do you kind, of, kind of prevent someone going, oh, is that the sky that we're going with? And it's like, no, no, don't, don't look at the sky at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, in, in thinking about, you know, using Leslie's example, if, if we're going to have a fully animated creature in frame, and then we're also doing a sky replacement, and then we're also going to do some vanity fixes, um, you know, usually there's an order of operation to make that shot come to life. And so uh, if, if we're in sort of the early stages of the shot, and we're doing the, the blocking of the animation for the creature, you know, we, we don't need to comment on the lighting. We don't need to comment on the compositing yet. You know, you're going to be looking at a grayscale creature. And so it's creatively getting the director and um, whoever's ultimately making that call to be familiar and understanding of where we are in the process, knowing that, you know, when it comes to fully CG work like that, you're, you're not going to get exactly what you're looking for until, you know, a couple of days before, you know, you're going to be delivering the show because you're constantly finessing and fine tuning that CG work. And then same idea with the sky replacement. Usually um, that's a, that's a type of work that can be done pretty early on. And, you know, we can establish the time of day and how we want the shot to feel and we can finesse, you know, where the sun position is or how we want um, the mood to feel in the shot. And so, you can comment on that very early in the process, but with something that usually requires a, a, a much heavier 3D integration, you're going to want to kind of walk the, the, the person through um, who's making the creative call uh, on that shot. So we're kind of, you know, in the middle to the last third of visual effects production, you're in editorial, and then, um, Leslie, you hear that there are a whole bunch of other miscellaneous shots, all the stuff that we've been talking about, wire removal, some paint, beauty work. So 30 more shots come to you. Um, do you just lean on the vendor that you're working with at the moment? Um, or do you have to go through a whole starting again, rebidding process? Like what is that for you? It depends. Um, sometimes the, the vendor on the show has the capacity and wants to take on those fixes. 
sometimes because of the other commitments they have already on your show, they can't do that. And you're, and you're looking for a new vendor. Yeah. Um, and then you're going out and you're, you know, rebidding, you know, but you have something already shot. So you're like you're bidding exactly what you have that needs to get done um, to finish the film. Yeah. And Ryan, for you, if we look at the independent film we were talking about, you know, it's it's one thing, the level of service that you describe for, uh, you know, something with a very healthy visual effects budget. It's got animated creatures. Um, how does this approach change when you deal with a New York independent film? They may have a, you know, visual effects, a car crash or something that they need to sell within the film. But then also there are 20 or 30, 40 other miscellaneous shots that come through from the production. How are you kind of shaping that work in your facility? It must be different to the larger scale. Um, yes and no. I mean, I, I, I think you'd be surprised to know that there's really not that big of a difference. I, I you know, I think with every show that at least I've seen, they're, they're all met with the same sort of creative expectations and the same bar as far as what comes out of, you know, our facility. And so it, it didn't matter to us if it was, you know, a very high scale, high budget project, or if it was a low tier, low budget project, it's going to be met with the same sort of TLC, tender loving care as, as, as any other, you know, project that would come through. I think the thing that does come in, you know, into mind is, okay, how are we going to manage the budget internally because of that there's not the ability to kind of borrow and, and share between shots. So if, if you have that sort of iconic car crash moment that you want everything to go into, usually then that's okay. How are we going to figure that out? And that's where it comes into a conversation with the production team to say, okay, we want to focus on this. We can absolutely do it. But we have these other, you know, 25 potential shots that are not going to suffer, but they're not going to get this, the, the same amount of time as this one shot. So how do we want to, you know, you know, break up uh, sharing of, of resources to hit this, hit this scope of work? And what's the best advice? I mean, I think, um, you know, having been on those shows as well, a lot of uh, the independent New York shows, a lot of people think, well, I, I don't have the budget, so I can't like expect the same amount of service. Or like, do you have any pointers for how a post-supervisor could get the most out of that small film engagement with you? Uh, reach out. You know, I, I, I think a, a lot of companies are open and willing to support you know, films getting made and, and have these conversations. Again, I think there's creative solutions to tell a story that can happen with visual effects. And that's why it's just so important early on if you're reading through a script and you're like, I could never, you know, flip this car and do this, this crazy visual effect. Well, there might be a way that we could do it and sell it and still get the audience reaction that you're ultimately after. So you just never know. And so I, I think in, in doing the, you know, the initial pass and reading through it and trying to dissect it and be like, okay, I have $100,000 for visual effects. How am I going to get this done? I think there's, there's conversations that can be had with vendors to help support them in that process. Great. Leslie, I didn't ask you, but in, when you're bidding, um, do you insist on a, a number of versions? Is, does, is that kind of how you're thinking? Or in your jobs, they'll just version it till it's done? Um, I think we'd like them to version it till they're done. Yes. <laughs> Within 
reason, you yeah. know. Yes. And Ryan, is that right? You're you towards the end of these jobs then it's just like, I mean, I've worked in the visual effects facility, a frantic all night kind of picking up, you know, notes, getting versions done. How, how are you managing all of that? Yeah, I, you know, again, I think it goes back to communication. If, if, if in the beginning of the show, we're looking at a schedule that, you know, we're delivering um, a feature in two months, or if it's in an episode of a show in two weeks, you know, we're, we're identifying, okay, these are the resources, these, this is the team that we need to build in order to ultimately complete the work. And so, you know, you're always up against the deadline, right? Like, you're always going to finesse it. It's, it's, it's any art, you know, you're constantly trying to make it better. And so um, understanding that, you know, we, we always are in a, in a push, but with the push, you try to keep a work-life balance for, for, for your team. Um, you try to have a staff uh, that's in place that, you know, again, it's, it's my job. It's, it's other producers jobs to ultimately protect that staff so that they can, you know, go home to their kids and they can have a life beyond just visual effects. And so um, if that means we have to bring in, you know, additional resources to offset that, how, however that ultimately plays out, we always strive to communicate and then, you know, figure out how we can get it done without, you know, causing this, you know, traditional late, late night delivery. <laughs> I had uh, I worked on a show with Andrew Adamson who had done the Narnia films and uh, the Shrek films and he would always say it's a movie for a long time whenever he wanted a new version of something so you, whenever you heard that you're just like oh um, so you know we're just about to um, wrap up the show Ryan's delivered final versions you're getting final sign off on things um, Leslie you're preparing to then receive final versions of those shots what's going on for you and when is this? This is about the time that they're in the DI, right? Yeah, so if we're in final delivery, um, you know, it might be right before the DI starts, um, ideally a little bit. Um, <laughs> you're starting to look at your visual effects in higher resolution. You know, I think it's always really important. Um, you know, usually your earlier reviews, you're looking at stuff over CineSync, you know, yeah. you're looking at HD QuickTimes, or you're looking at something in the Avid, and there's, there's stuff you just can't see. Yeah. Until you get it onto the big screen. You know, I think I can't, you know, stress enough that like it really is advantageous to see your shot before you final it at high res. And usually they need to go more than one round. And in this day and age, how are you doing that? I mean, um, I guess you could send a person into a DI screen with the mask and, you know, an oxygen tank or something. But have you been doing deliveries during COVID and um, had to send someone into a facility or do you feel like you can do it at home? Um, re recently on a show I was on, the director went in with a producer into Company 3 and they saw shots. Um, the facility and myself, we were on the phone. Um, so we couldn't, we couldn't see what they were seeing. You know, we wow. knew what shots they, what they were looking at and we had the quick times on our end. Yeah. Um, and then they were kind of sending us some screenshots pointed towards the screen with something circled in a laser pointer. Um, I think there is actually other technology too, where you, they could potentially, you know, live screen to you at home. Yeah. Um, we, we weren't able to do that at the time, but I do feel like that is. is Ryan, do you want to speak about that for a second? COVID um, applicable 
final reviews? Yeah, I mean, you know, for us, we're once once we deliver it to the DI, usually we're kind of waiting to hear. Um, so, uh, assuming you know we receive kickbacks, usually they need to be turned around very quickly. Um, and so we're we're trying to work um, to assure that whenever we're in our shop production stage, we're doing a lot of our tech fixes and QC notes that we have internally, even after you know. It, the versions approved. So if they approve version five and that's in their edit, we'll continue to work to ensure that there's no matte, matte lines, there's no um, floating edges or anything like that. And so then we would have a version eight that we would submit um, to the DI and then also to editorial so they update their quick time. But as, specifically as far as um, a, a COVID uh, DI per se, you know, we're not necessarily as involved in, in that process. Um, Leslie, at this stage, are you still putting the shots with the editor or they're just going straight into the DI now? Do you need to cut them in first into sequences yeah. in the AVID? We cut in everything. Yeah. Um, you know, everything that provides the record of kind of what happened, right? It, it creates the record of what happened, like what your version is, yeah. because whatever EDLs and everything else that's sent out from editorial is what the DI relies on to know that they're using the right versions. Yeah, right. So they're getting a, um, a change EDL, right? They're getting an EDL, um, you know, and usually, you know, a reference QuickTime as well. Um, and, you know, sometimes when something gets output in, in another version, you know, something goes wrong. So sometimes you cut something in and somehow frames are, have dropped out or, you know, so everything really needs to be checked through editorial. Always got to check the work. Absolutely. And so, um, you know, all the shots are now successfully in our DI. Um, I was about to say you're recording it out, but no one records out DIs anymore. Um, Leslie, what are you doing to wrap the show? You have, what are your deliverables to the studio? Uh, most of the studios want, um, you know, the high-res files for each shot, um, as well as a matching QuickTime. And then I also usually do a bunch of paperwork for them, which is kind of list by reel of all the final version numbers um, and the cost per shot. Oh, yeah, right. And then usually there's some kind of wrap document that that studio might have where they want to kind of see a comparison of where you started and where you finished. And for the shows that you've done with, um, you know, big CG elements, characters, that kind of thing, are, are you giving those as elements to the studio or they, they just take the shots? Um, no, the vendor also is wrapping up any assets. Um, so if there are available assets for characters or potentially some environment work, um, then they would package up what, what should be saved. And Ryan, what are you doing? Um, if I called Powerhouse in a year's time and said, I need to redo that shot for the Blu-ray, um, you have an archive of all of this work? We do, yeah. So um, same idea, you know, as soon as the show is final delivered and, and, you know, our shotguns reconciled against Leslie's internal database and we're all in sync, then we begin sort of our deliverable process. And so same idea, whatever studio it would be, we would upload all of our final shots, all of our final assets, um, and so that they would have a record of everything if something were to happen. And same idea, then we archive that exact same package and then some internally so that we can, 
in a year's time, if something, you know, like a Blu-ray re-release comes and they want to, you know, adjust the shot, we have the ability to bring that back online and make that fix. And what do you do in crewing? I mean, for, for the larger shows, a lot of the operators are freelancers. Yeah, um, you know, for the most part, uh, I, I think New York in general tends to kind of keep a relatively low overhead as far as staff is concerned, and then, you know, would ramp up accordingly. But that that tends to be a more traditional model as well, I think, within visual effects, is you kind of keep your your core staff team and your core supervisors and leads and, and you know, team there, and then, you know, you build out the rest with, with freelancers. And that's quite a juggling operation, just... You know, it costs you more to try and find a new person than keep the existing person and put them on a new job. That must be a lot of your time working out. Like, does this team go to this job? Do we break it up and put them on separate jobs? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 a total balancing act of you know people and and personalities and I mean, there's there's a lot that goes into it. It's not just you know you have you know two days to comp this shot. You know, it's it's identifying the right artist for that shot. Um, ensuring that, you know, they're the one that can complete the shot. Um, there's, there's definitely a lot that goes into it, but I think that's what makes this so unique as well, is that it is, it, it is an art form and, and each artist paints with a little bit of a different brush. And so it's, it's really trying to find the right team for the right project, for the right director, for the right, you know, et cetera. So it just, it becomes a very, um, methodical and, and really cool process to see kind of play out in a very short period of time usually. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm looking at the um, chat line and we have a couple of questions here. Um, there's a couple of things about virtual production. Um, now do vendors ever suggest to the um, post super or the visual effects department that they can create a location to save on money and travel to do with virtual production? Or even if it's not virtual production that they could create it in a blue screen environment, you know, is that's the kind of thing that your, I guess your assumptions document against the script. It says, you know, Main Street, Paris, and it's like a cutaway, essentially. Would you ask, like, are we really going to Paris or are we just going to, you know, put them on a stage? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're looking at, you know, what's going to make the most sense financially, um, you know, and, and what your ability is, I mean, now in COVID, I think more and more, you know, if we can't travel, what are those, what are your other options that visual effects can provide? Yeah. Yeah. And just to add to that, you know, I, I think a lot of the jobs, even that we have now that, you know, if they were shooting um, pre-COVID and, you know, had to go on hiatus due to COVID, a lot of the work that needs to get picked up are now going to be visual effects because they can't go back to that location or there's COVID restrictions around it. And so we're being put in a position to kind of recreate that environment for, for those shows. So, you know, virtual production means a, a lot to a lot of different people and it kind of depends on the scenario, but um, you know, your traditional blue screen backdrop that can be, you know, whatever we want to put back there. I, I, I think that that is becoming a much more, relevant and consistent shot these days because of what COVID has, has caused. Uh, another question, um, Ryan, are you doing a lot of virtual production bids? Uh, not in the traditional LED panel sense. Um, mm -hmm. You know, those, those haven't necessarily hit 
us. Um, they have hit sort of our sister companies uh, within sort of our global uh, group, but um, we are doing, a, again, sort of a lot more of the blue screen set extension work, taking a practical location and then replicating that out um, behind actors because, you know, you can isolate the crew to a stage and you can control your COVID compliance there, but to go onto the set in, you know, downtown Manhattan or go into a subway station, you know, can't really happen these days. So yeah. um, a lot of what we're doing and bidding is to take it over from a virtual environment setup. Now, I have an interesting question here. Is HDR more expensive? I'll just preface this by saying you're probably, sh you know, you're shooting on log cameras, so you're getting the dynamic range. So is HDR just a function of the output or do you, is there more involved in there? I'll, I'll let either of you take that one, really. Um, I, I, I mean, from, from our, our vendor side, not necessarily. I think it's, you know, it, it's ultimately the final output, you know, resolution that we want to deliver to. Um, so, you know, for us, no. And really, you would be delivering a full range log file anyway, right? So that's really a function of the DI more than the visual effect. Is that right? Yep. Yes. Leslie, do you have any opinion on, does it matter to you, HDR delivery? Um, no, I, I think it's really a function of the DI and like yeah, right. Dan should have that bandwidth. Yeah. We're coming up five minutes to the hour. Um, this is good because when Leslie and Ryan and I first talked through this, it was like an hour 40. So we've cut 40 minutes out of it. Um, this is only the best bits, of course. Um, if there are any other questions on, um, I can probably still take another question on chat. Um, but nothing's come in. So I think, um, yeah, Leslie and Ryan, um, any any closing comments? What's the what's the uh, best thing to remember in surviving your visual effects project? Well, I was going to say I think the key is is really communication. You know, especially you know when you don't have a visual effects team and you don't have a dedicated visual effects producer. You know that post supervisor is that person's, you know, you're the throughput for all communication, you know, so the vendor who is not on site, you know, really needs to know from you when there are cut changes, scheduling changes, you know, are they preparing for a preview and that date is pushed, you know, they're relying on you for that communication. Um, so I think, you know, it's, as long as you're kind of checking in with them all the time, I think, you know, that's going to help you have a smoother ride. And of course, I mean, as we've detailed all of the, the different record keeping that you've done, it's staying buttoned up on those details, staying on top of those details, isn't it really? Yes, I mean, I think it's great to have a production side record, you know, like when you're in reviews and, you know, you're taking notes on the director's feedback and, you know, I always like to send, you know, whatever was said on our side, even though the vendor themselves is also taking notes. So yeah, it's, it's keeping a good, a, a good track record of everything that's happened. And Ryan, any other final comments on how best to uh, deal with the visual effects job as a post super? Yeah, I would say to, you know, consider bringing visual effects on earlier um, than you actually think you need to bring them on. Uh, again, I, I think the day rate associated with having a VFX person on set um, really will pay dividends in the long run. Um, it might be a hit to the production budget. It might do certain things on, on, on independent films, but 
in the long run, they're there to help support and ultimately save you money. And, and I think that getting somebody on set that can be your eyes and ears so that you have a peace of mind associated with visual effects, I think is really important. And all, obviously also communication. Well, Leslie, Ryan, um, thank you very much for joining us for Visual Effects for Post Supervisors. I've found this conversation uh, really helpful and illuminating. Um, I hope everyone else is as well. 